Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. When you become a member, enter Suburban Folk in the podcast that you heard about them. Your host, Greg Rotersheimer, is now a designated financial coach. If your financial situation is causing you stress because of debt, budgeting, or saving for retirement, and anything in between, contact me to discuss how I can coach you to financial success. Email me at greg at suburbanfolk.com or call me at 804 804- Five nine two one eight seven one for a fifteen minute free consultation to get started with your plan. Health, travel, finance, parenting, and home improvement. This is the Suburban Folk Podcast. Two hundred fifty dollars a month into my child's five twenty nine from the month that they start kindergarten, I should be able to pay for eighty percent of my child's college. Because I don't trust that most people will eat their vegetables, right. so. Our kind of standard is three servings of vegetables per meal. You take something like a, a two by six and you cut it with a circular saw. That's like a superpower. Those middle school years are not as fun, but at that age, they're still willing to talk to you. Welcome to the Suburban Folk Podcast. I'm Greg Rotersheimer, your host. For most of you, you realize that Suburban Folk is at its core a self-help show. And today we're going to take the concept of self-help specifically in the world of health and compare it to global health, or in other words, the environment. I know whenever we tackle social issues on the show, I emphasize what can an individual do in order to make an impact. And that's what we're going to talk about today. My guest is Joyce Christensen. She has a bachelor's degree in biological sciences and a master's degree in environmental management. Her company, Christensen EHS Solutions, specializes in helping companies improve their environmental performance through self-sustaining management systems. She lives in Houston, Texas, and enjoys spending time reveling in the wide variety of nature in her backyard and wherever she finds it. And we're going to discuss her book, The Last Straw. Thanks, Joyce, for taking some time to join me today. Can you kick us off by giving your background and what motivated you to write the book, The Last Straw? Yeah. So I'm an environmental consultant. I've been doing environmental work for like 35 years now. 18 years ago, I left my my six-figure Fortune 500 corporate income and um, decided to raise my kids who were five and two, uh, but continue in my professional life. And so I've always worked for, whether it was by as an employee or as a consultant, for big companies. But this naturalist side of things, the nature side of things was always near and dear to my heart. Growing up as a kid, that's what I did. I wandered through the woods. I was raised on a farm, not a lot of people around. That was my fun space. But about three years ago in 2017, I had a medical crisis. So um, they found a tumor in my in my breast and I had to have it removed. That part was the easy part. Little did I know that it was really the treatment that would, or actually the prevention of maybe future tumors that was going to put me through the ringer. So after a summer of chemo and radiation, and I was just, I was left drained. I was left really fatigued. And so as you can imagine, I wasn't really in a place to worry about sorting recycling. 
I was just really tired. And that carried on into early 2019. And I was just, I was at a follow-up visit with my oncologist. And I said, look, this is crazy. I'm like in a fog. I'm so tired. I'm forgetting things. I, I'm, you know, it's, this just isn't, isn't good. And so she so I said, is this the latent effect of the chemo? And she said, mm-hmm. she asked me a few questions. She's like, you know what, let's do a sleep study for you. And it turned out I did the sleep study. It turned out I had sleep apnea and it was, it was a mild form, but it was still just dramatically affecting me. So once I got on what I call my sleep machine, everything just steadily improved. So over time, I got my hair back with this, with this help. I got my energy back and I just kind of looked at things and said, I'm at a different place in my life, right? So my kids are grown up. Those little kids, they're now in their early 20s. They're launching. And, you know, we all, I think, kind of feel this compulsion, like what can we do to make a difference? And I could see how, yeah, I struggled through chemo and fatigue. But whenever we've got small children, we're juggling work. We're juggling our family life. We may be juggling other generations, our elder parents, we've got so many things going on and it just feels like it's too much. It's overwhelming. So we maybe want to do good for the environment, but it's like, we just don't feel like we have the time. We don't know how we're not sure it's going to have that much of an impact. And I just, it just occurred to me that it's like, really, until we take care of ourselves, we, we just don't have space to take care of the environment. And that's, that's when I launched, you know, my book, The Last Straw, Change Your Life and the Planet for Good. And it's got 10 chapters, one for each, designating like a week of time where you can take and start incorporating those small changes that once you do a few, you have a few successes and you feel like, okay, that's not so hard. I can develop these systems. And, and then what is it like eight, 10 weeks it takes to make a habit? Right. So you can start building those habits and incorporating these small changes into your life. And suddenly things aren't so hard. You can see the value. You can do better and you can feel better about it because you're now you're taking care of yourself and it does give you the space to take care of the environment, too. I think it's a point well taken to go one step at a time, whether you're talking about getting yourself in a place of improvement, health, like you're talking about, or Heck, finances is something we talk about a lot on the show here. And certainly the environment fits that phrase of how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Because I would challenge anybody to read a story about global warming and not feel overwhelmed at some of the statistics that you read and be left unable to really knowing where to start. Did you... Find the parallels between an individual and what they could be doing for the environment along with your health journey and self-improvement there coming together naturally? Or did you already have it in mind that you wanted to create the connection between the two? I think it was really an evolution. I won't say I started there. It just became apparent to me and just watching people and, and feeling a lot of empathy for them right? Because I get it. It's like, it's too much. It's overwhelming. I don't understand. I don't even know who to believe when it comes to the science. And I thought, you know, that's the first thing we got to do is give ourselves a break. 
right? Because it is, it, it, it can look really hard and overwhelming. So it was an evolutionary process to say, okay, wait a minute, like you said, how do we eat this elephant? We eat it one bite at a time. And, um, and that's why, you know, I started out with the whole, okay, first we got to get the foundations right, right? And for me, it just became abundantly clear that was sleep. Sleep makes everything else possible. Just like when you have a financial budget, right? You need to have a sleep budget and you need to say, Whatever it is you need, seven or eight hours is typical, but whatever you need, you go, okay, I'm going to get those seven or eight hours, and then everything else is going to get constructed around that, right? But that sleep, it's non-negotiable. I am going to get it, just like when you're financial budgeting, right? Exactly. Yeah, and then there's a lot of parallels there. You know, if, if, if people say, I'll sleep when I'm dead, I mean, they just have it so wrong. They'll be dead much sooner. I mean, the science tells us now that it's just there's so many things happening when we sleep that are critical to, you know, a good, a proper functioning body. So, and I learned that the hard way because I was always a really great sleeper. I was like, eh, sleep, no big deal. I sleep like a rock, you know. But then when it got disturbed, I could see just the huge impact it had on my body. Even if you're cheating a little on the sleep, it's probably affecting you more than you realize. And once you get good sleep, I think you'll be able to see a difference. I always point to having a baby and dealing with the sleep deprivation there. If I've always been a fan of my sleep, but if I was a doubter, <laughs> I certainly wouldn't be after dealing with getting up with a baby all night. In fact, our oldest really was more using the bottle than breastfeeding. So my wife and I shared the duties and our youngest was better about breastfeeding. So frankly, I didn't have to do as much. And I could see the difference between the first and how my mood was as compared to the second where I was a little more balanced, but my wife was definitely feeling it <laughs> by by the time uh, she started to actually get more sleep. So you are preaching to the choir when you talk about the importance of sleep. It's funny when you have little ones, you know, you'll say, I didn't even have time for a shower. And people will look at you, people who don't have kids, and they'll be like, what? How is that possible? And it's like, trust me, that's possible. <laughs> exactly. I, I can remember too, being in some meetings and some of the folks that were more experienced than me would say jokingly about baby brain, but there is some truth to it that, again, it it affects your performance throughout the day. And let me ask you this. You mentioned people saying, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And my mind immediately goes to the world of the business owner, entrepreneur, which is a world that you're in. How do you balance that need for sleep with what seems to be the dominating mantra that those after hours are when you're really getting ahead of the competition? Yeah, I mean, that's very true. And and there is a definite difference now. You know, I've been working, like I said, I've been working for 35 years or more, and I've been on my own as an entrepreneur for 18 of those And I can absolutely tell a a difference, you know, as I get older. I mean, part of it, you do what you have to do, right? When you have little ones and you've got clients calling and that's a good thing, right? Um, But you've you've got to deliver or or you're not going to get that next assignment. And so I can remember many an evening when I would be like, 
to my husband, okay, you've got the kids. I've, I've got to stay working, um, you know, till whatever it took, six, seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. And I could, I could do that. I could get away with it. But these days, um, I can't, I just can't, I have to shut it off, you know, around five, six o'clock, you know, unless there's something very, very special, that's what I'm going to do. But I can do that now because I have adult children. So I think it's okay. I guess what I would say is to accept that we might be able to do that when we're younger. We might be able to cheat a little bit, but as we age, we kind of need to honor our bodies and just be, just be really aware that we need to make time for that sleep. For the aspiring entrepreneur, do you have advice of a way to find a balance or is it just a given that out of the gate, you're going to have to <laughs> sacrifice a little bit of sleep time? And to your point, you maybe can do it because you're uh, in your younger years, potentially. Yeah, I would just set some boundaries um, and just say, I'm going to work hard whenever my sweet spot is. For some people, that's first thing in the morning. For some night owls, that's later at night. Um, but set some boundaries around that. And then, yeah, okay, it's okay if that slips a little bit. But for the most part, try to honor them and try to honor the vacation time. You need that restorative time. The science tells us that. Try to honor those weekends. Try to honor that that family time. And we can kind of jump ahead. But, you know, a lot of it goes back to Covey. I love Stephen Covey, right? his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And if we will just be really careful about looking at, you know, it's that whole matrix of things are urgent or not urgent, important or not important. And if we can just really be mindful of focusing on the things that are maybe not so urgent, but they're important, and then just be kind of jealous of our time and and let go, say no to things that don't fit in that not urgent, but important quadrant. So it just takes a little bit of self-discipline, I think. Before we jump into each one of the steps that you alluded to for the book, what was the timeline relative to your journey and COVID and all of the lockdowns that are going on? Because it strikes me that the concepts that we've already touched on and are going to touch on have only been more illuminated with what's going on right now. Yeah, I would have to agree to you. Well, I really, I got the idea for doing this. I was kind of coached into it. I didn't start out thinking I would write a book the end of October of last year, 2019. And I started writing the book in November and I had it. I had a first draft done by, I don't know, the holidays, by the beginning of, of 2020, and um, it just it just kind of poured out of me. Now I will tell you this: that I probably spent three times the time, you know, two times the time it took to write to edit it. Um, that was you know a learning curve and a process for me. But all of that was pre-COVID. You know, I had. I had everything. I had essentially a manuscript and a cover and I was ready to go. It ended up not coming out until May. Um, That was when I was able to publish it. But somebody, one of my reviewers said, oh, gee, you might want to make a comment here about COVID. And I looked at it and I thought, you know what, this holds true no matter what. Just like you said, it actually even magnifies a lot of it more. And this could be a good time when maybe people do have a little bit of that downtime it will give them an opportunity to maybe be a little more mindful, a little more intentional 
this book could serve them well through that. Exactly. There's certainly been plenty of articles written about the importance of people keeping up with their health regimen, for example. And it's been very challenging to do that, especially for those of us with kids that have been at home and other challenges with the changes at work. So all the more reason for people to be very intentional with their health. You also mentioned being protective of family time. I couldn't agree more. That is a very consistent theme for the show. And, and I mention it nearly in every topic. <laughs> so uh, also point well taken there. So uh, intentionality is more crucial now possibly than ever. And whenever we get out of this, hopefully these are habits that uh, people will have internalized and can continue to put themselves first. And then, hey, as soon as we get out of this Global warming and all of the environmental issues will be – they're front and center now, of course. But even more so, I think we'll have more of a focus just because of all the evidence that we're seeing. Of course, before we started recording, we were – I don't want to say joking, but just making the comments that each area of the country is going through these different natural disasters. And uh, there's obviously a lot of literature out there about what the reasons are for those things. So uh, continuing, I guess, on our journey here, we started with sleep. Is there anything else that we should highlight for the importance of sleep before jumping to the next step? Oh, I think we covered it pretty good, but I would say if there's still some doubters out there, there is plenty of science. There are some really good TED Talks. Um, and if, and if we, this conversation hasn't made a believer of you, you can find the research that will. It's just, and, and, and we only know a little bit, right? We've just touched the surface. This is one of these uh, last frontiers, what happens to our sleeping brain. And so I suspect I find even more things that are related to it. Maybe one other point that just came to mind, mixing it back to the work world. I'm also a firm believer in the etiquette that, don't always send out an email where you say, yep, I'm always busy. I'm always busy. Because while you might think that that's making you sound extra important and you've got things going on, people very likely could be reading that a different way that you're ineffective. And going back to what you're talking about, about the seven habits, uh, similarly, you need to prioritize sleep and it's not always going to be perceived that you're this model employee because you stayed up half the night working on fill in the blank project. It could be that you're not prioritizing correctly and that you're not being as effective as you could be. So even another way to look at the importance of sleep and the way that you're doing things and having the right priorities. I think that's so true. I mean, how much of it is busyness, right? Busy work, you know, doing to be doing. I, I love it. I have a friend that uh, described it. I said something like, I know you're very busy, but do you have a few minutes for me? He says, not busy, not busy, impactful. It was very important for him to not be thought of as just a busy person. He's, he strives to be an impactful person. And that was just really like an eye opener for me that, yeah, that's exactly how we need to look at it. Not that we're just busy, busy doing, busy for the sake of busy. But are we making an impact? If we've got our sleep down, the next step in the process is play. Can you walk me through what that means and how people should start to enact that in their lives? 
So play is another underrated uh, part of our lives, just like sleep. And I have to confess that although I was very good at play as a kid, I haven't been very good as an adult. And if I had one regret with my own kids, I think I would work. It sounds funny, but I would work a little harder at play with them. So play is defined as it's got no purpose. It's got no goal. It's got no, there's no like end game. Like I'm going to do this and then I'm going to get that. If I play really hard, then I've got um, some good exercise in. No, it's just play. It's just going out for the joy of play. And if, if you don't really, if you're like, well, I don't really know what play would look like for me because I'm an adult, right? I work, I have responsibilities. Then go back, do kind of a play history for yourself. Go back and look at what you did as a kid, what you enjoyed as a kid, and see if you can't get in touch that way. Or if you have kids or your own kids, kids in the neighborhood, take a look at them and say, okay, what are they doing that looks like fun and how can I emulate that? Because it's, it's this, it's very freeing. And I think it gives your brain a little bit of space to kind of open up and not be so narrowly focused, you know, on, on what are, whatever the work objective is. So, you know, and play can be, can be knitting. It can be Legos. It can be riding a bike. It can be playing tag. For me, I found out it was walking in the woods. I alluded to that at the beginning of the conversation that this was, you know, there weren't a lot of kids around. I was in a rural area on a farm. So there were woods nearby. I wandered around the woods. And it was only in retrospect that I was able to look and see during my chemo journey, after my very first chemo, and, you know, I was just really, I hadn't lost my hair yet, but I was just really desperate for any kind of normalcy, right? And so I have a friend and she's, she's 68 and that's what we do. We go walk in the woods. She's got a lot of really awesome property. Uh, some of it is untouched. And we would just take walks in the woods like we did when we were 10 year old girls. And it really restored me. And it was kind of what got me through some of the worst times of the, the chemo. Yet another parallel for what everybody is facing with lockdowns of getting into nature for a sense of normalcy. For example, you don't necessarily have to wear a mask if you're out on a remote enough trail or something like that. So I think everybody listening can relate to that in some way. I do also want to highlight what you mentioned as far as playing with your kids. I am a big believer in making sure you make time for that. Obviously, just so you have a chance to unwind and do something that you like to do, but also that is, for me, one of the primary ways that I'm able to connect with my kids at the end of the day is unstructured. Let them pick the activity because let's be honest, as a parent, you're telling them what to do a lot of the time. So give them the chance to, to tell you what to do with whatever you're playing with. And and I try to listen to anybody older than me that says you'll never get that time back so that I don't look back and say, oh man, I really squandered the time. So I would wholeheartedly agree with that. And something else that I think I have to tell myself, I'm a huge fan of the gig economy and advise any and everybody to do a skills inventory and figure out what you can monetize. But I think 
to your point, that could be a little bit of a slippery slope because if you're thinking that for literally everything you do, you might be attaching some extra baggage to something that was previously just for fun and now has certain expectations on it. Uh, Actually, even for podcasting, I've joked and said, if people ask, is it growing? Are you making money at it? Or whatever else it happens to be when first question probably should be, are you having fun? And my comparison is I don't go out and play golf and somebody says, oh, are you on your way to getting your PGA tour card? (laughs) they, They realize something like that is for fun. And I think people when you get older, have a tendency to blend something that is a hobby or for fun with something that is a pursuit, whether as part of your day job or some other side hustle. So that is uh, also good advice to keep in mind. And, and that takes us to the next step of B. Can you define that for us? Being, this one was really instrumental for me. And, and you know, it might not be the same for everybody, but my experience was I did this, uh, it's a type of assessment and um, some people like them, some people don't. I'll do every assessment you give me. I think they're fun and interesting and, you know, you can either use it or take it with a grain of salt. But there's one out there called Colby, K-O-L-B-E. Basically, the idea is that, like, we know how our, like, working style is. We know how our maybe thinking style is. But if we shed all the constraints of, you know, what we have to do for work or to be a good parent or or whatever, and we just aligned our our actions with our natural way of being what would happen what does that look like because when we can when we do that and we we find our natural way of being and we align our actions it reduces our stress we feel more joy and it's just better and we've got about 13 percent of employed americans right now well not right now but maybe last year, (laughs) saying that they were actively disengaged at work, you know, and about 30% saying, well, this is just a job to get by, right? So if we can get to our natural state of being, it's just, it's just going to be better. And Colby defines four, four ways of being. And they have the fact finder, these are the people that like to get lots of information. My son's a fact finder. When, when we bring something up, he's asking, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And so these folks are great. If you're like, hey, I need to get a new washing machine. Oh, I've researched them all. And the best one, you know, for the money is this one. And then you've got people who like to system systematize things, right? They're going to organize everything. They're going to find ways to just do it better, make it more systematic. They're really good at follow through. Um, and then you've got the implementers. Now, a lot of these folks are your, your engineers, your people that build things. They just, they like to get out in the shop. They use their hands with woodworking or their handyman or, or, you know, whatever. Um, but they, but they, but they're really good at that. And then uh, the fourth kind is called a quick, quick start. And so these are people who are kind of idea people. Now, not to say that they are only idea people and they don't implement, but they like to they like to try out new things. They like to test things. They like to experiment. You kind of got to be a little bit comfortable with uncertainty, you know, if you're a quick start because you don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, none of these are better than the others. We probably all have a little bit of each one in us, but we've got one that we prefer more than others. So like it turns out, and this, this is what was revolutionary for me personally, 
like my son took the test and he's like, yeah, we already knew he was a fact finder. Okay. I took it. I thought I was a fact finder and a follow through person because that's what I do for my job as an environmental consultant. I'm always researching regulations, applying them, making sure we've got systems in place so that the company can comply. But it turns out my natural way of being is a quick start. Who knew all this time? I just thought I was like this, you know, technical nerdy person. But when I can, you know, be this idea person, I used to quash my ideas. Like, well, I don't have time. That's not practical. I can't really do that. And now I'm like, I just collect them and maybe something will happen or maybe something won't. And it's okay. But I did find that when I am doing that, I am more likely to get in a state of flow and really enjoy what I'm doing. And I've given myself permission to behave in that way. And as a result, it's really been life-changing. I'm doing things I would have never done before, like this podcast, like writing a book, you know, like creating a Facebook group for like-minded people, you know, that are into nature and green living. Hopefully I word this next question correctly, but figuring out what your state of being should be, does that mean you should avoid the other kinds of tasks that are not your strong point or put in a business sense, you farm them out to somebody that would do it better? Or are you saying that you're going to do all of the tasks, you're just going to do them in a different way based on your natural state. You can see it kind of like a pyramid and you might see like, let's say for me, I'm a quick start. So you might see like of all the pieces of a day that I have, most of them I need to be in quick start. But yeah, absolutely. I'll have a little bit of an implementer, a little bit of follow through, a little bit of fact finder. But uh, yes, I would say delegate, right? So I learned and I used to beat myself up for it. And it's really silly, but like I was a Girl Scout troop leader, had a co-troop leader, you know, with my daughter and um, she was super artsy, craftsy. And so she could make anything. Now I look back and I oh, she's an implementer, right? I would try, right? Because I'm going to do this. And, and it would just be a mess. And I would be really hard on myself. And it's kind of dumb, right? It's like, okay, guess what? That's not my thing. I'm not going to work that hard at it. It's not that important for me. I'm going to let my, my co-leader take care of those. And I'm going to work on these other things, you know, coming up with ideas for what we can do and she can help build it. So yeah, I, to your point, I would absolutely say there are some of these that you want to delegate. I would say also that you might look, if you're in a partnership, you know, like you're um, a spouse, you might look and go, it, it maybe gives you a little more opportunity to give one another a break. Like my husband is total implementer. And I am so lucky because he's that guy that will research, you know, what's the best washing machine? How do we put a movie screen outside? How do we repair this or that? And thank goodness, because I can't do any of those things. But likewise, he kind of likes to keep an even keel and do all of those things where I'm like, hey, I got this idea. Hey, I got this idea. Hey, And I think after a while, he just kind of rolls my eyes. Rose's eyes. I think now, though, that we have this understanding of one another, we're much more accepting of one another and what our strengths are, and then where we might need to go. Okay, maybe we need a little more communication around this one so that we don't maybe frustrate the other person. Yeah, I like to think in my home life, my wife and I have a pretty good balance, similar to what you're talking about. And luckily, our interests are varied enough that 
we're not stepping on each other's toes. So if one takes the lead, then the other sort of is a sounding board, but doesn't try to take over with anything. And I'll admit in the business sense, my cheapness tends to get in the way with what I farm out. Uh, For example, if there's something I don't want to do, usually if I look at the cost of having somebody else do it, then I get deterred and end up doing it myself, which probably can be a detriment in certain situations. Uh, in, so jumping to our next step of spend, what does that look like and what should we be keeping in mind? Think of it as spend so you can invest, okay? So if you choose to spend your money on a Starbucks coffee every morning and you do it intentionally because that's important to you, go f- do it. That's great. But if you look at that and you go, you know what? I'm spending money on Starbucks and I don't even know why. I don't even like it that much. I can get that same coffee at home. Instead of paying four or five bucks, I can pay under a buck and I've got all the, you know, all the coffee I want. Okay. Then that wasn't, it wasn't a good decision to be spending it. Starbucks. The difference is not that you made the expenditure. The the difference is how you thought about it. And I would say it's the same with your time, right? So spend your money and time intentionally, mindfully, so that then you can invest the money and the time that you have left in things that are really important to you, right? And this goes back to this It may not be urgent, but it's important. So pay attention. Here's a good example. So every day, uh, pre-COVID, I would go, I work from home. So there's not a lot of social interaction, just me and my husband 24-7. And I would go out. I like to eat vegetarian. So I have a series of restaurants I'd go out to eat. Some people would say, well, you know, that's a waste of money eating out. And it's like, well, it wasn't for me. It was a a good way for me to get out from behind my desk, get out in the world, take a, take a true break, you know, just, just do that. And then come back home. Now I don't do it now because of COVID I've learned some new, new and better things that actually I'm happier eating at home. But at that time, I'm I'm not going to be hard on myself for doing that because it was a conscious choice. Right. So that's kind of, the mindset that we have to have and not criticize one another for those choices. Just make sure that they're mindful. I think you can probably draw a comparison to risk tolerance to some extent, or even go back to the first step of sleep. Something is probably not worth it or worth foregoing if you're going to be worrying about it or it's going to have a lack of sleep or I think in your example could potentially be a detriment to your relationships, there is another cost other than a financial cost, for example. And that's certainly something alluding back to my cheapness that I have to tell myself quite a bit. There's also the wants and needs conversation. And here's a quick example that came to mind as you were describing this. Uh, a security system uh, was nothing that I ever thought would be a necessity and based on where I'm at and so on, didn't think it would be part of safety. Sure enough, there was somebody in our neighborhood that had a break in and heck, the person that actually was in that house ran literally right across our lawn as they were sort of making their way out of the neighborhood. So what you could have maybe said was a want as far as security and what we were doing there certainly became a need for us because it's something that's going to make us rest easier. And 
give us less stress in life. So there's, I think, certainly a connection in understanding the value of the things that you're doing relative to even, like I said, that that initial step in sleep and, and the steps uh, probably that come later, I would imagine. See, the point is that you're being really mindful about it, right? You're making a choice. It's not just something that's happening, an impulse purchase, you know, and, and really, you know, you shouldn't call yourself cheap, right? You're, you're, you're thinking you're frugal, thrifty, smart about money. You're, you're spending here so that you have money left so that you can invest here where you really need it. So, well, I, I love using that word as tongue in cheek because I love it. <laughs> I, I think some people are insulted by it, but uh, it, it's sort of part of, of who I am. You're right. I don't actually consider myself <laughs> cheap. I can, I can use it as a, as a tongue in cheek term, but continuing with the financial comparison there of being mindful of what the purchase or the decision that you've made is doing for your overall outlook. And if it is having an impact, then it makes sense to do. If it's not, it doesn't hurt. Again, going back to your example, when you had to shift going out to a restaurant and found other things, okay, there's an alternative and you can evaluate that as part of your overall life and what kind of value it's adding. So I, I think it's a worthwhile exercise to be doing constantly. I would imagine it's not just a one-time assessment. Yeah. Sometimes though you need a jump start. Sometimes you're not so sure, right? So you've got to, maybe you, maybe you do a little diary. If it's time you're, you feel like you're keep running out of, I mean, I, there are 24 hours in every day. I mean, we can, we can budget, we can do it, but maybe we need to keep a, a time diary for a week or so, or maybe we need to keep a spending diary for a week or a month or and maybe that doesn't work for you because you don't want to like be that detailed. So instead you just look back at your debit card purchases and go, Hmm, add them up. Oh, I spent X amount on this. How do you feel about that? How did that make you feel knowing that if it makes you feel bad, then you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do it. You should find out another way to do it. So there's just all sorts of ways to tackle this and you know, it's really key that you find the way that works for you. Yeah, definitely. And the next step of serving, yeah, serving, you could call it volunteering. But again, there's the science that says if we serve others, this will counter anxiety, depression, we'll just feel better. It releases, it releases endorphins. It just feels good. When we're serving others, we're, we're not focusing on ourselves. And that's probably a big part of why it feels so good. And if we can do that, yeah. And again, this is where it goes, well, I don't have time. Well, if you make that time budget and you spend your time intentionally, you can find time to serve. It might be in the church. It might be at a local nonprofit. Find a way to do it. Model the behavior for your kids. And you can you can even create a culture of service with your kids by finding things that you can do as a family. You can make space for this. It might just be a little bit a week, a little bit a month. It might be several times in a week. It might be virtually. It might be in person. But again, you can find something that works for you and it is going to it is going to help you later make the space that you need. I think this one has a very direct correlation to the question of what can I be doing to help the environment? Because I think anybody can think of 
a human story, whether that's homeless people, whether that's children dealing with terminal illnesses, whatever it happens to be. And in any case, you have the chance to turn off the thing that you're watching and say, boy, that sounds really sad and go about your day. Or you can check out ways to volunteer and see what you can do to make a difference. These are big problems. If everybody just turns off the TV and does nothing, well, it's not going to get any better. If you see what to add value to, then that is going to make that amount of difference. And if everybody does that, you'd see major, major changes. And again, that is very much a correlation, I think, to environmental practices and what you can be doing on a day-to-day basis. And there can be a real camaraderie from it. I just, uh, I took the class 15 years ago, but I'm retaking it. Uh, it's Texas Master Naturalist. I'm in Texas. There's a Master Naturalist program, I guess, with every state uh, parks and wildlife agency in the country. And, um, you know, these are all like-minded people that are, that are, they just, they just want to connect with nature. They want to educate others on nature. They want to protect nature. And there's a real camaraderie there. So you just feel really good about being in this tribe. Something that, that you can do as much or as little as you want. You can do it when you're retired. You can do it when you're a new graduate. You can work with kids. But it's just a, a, a great way to serve others and also have it align with your desire to do good in the world. I also see a connection to this one going back to play. And you mentioned some people have forgotten how to play and what even would be bringing them joy. There's really potentially an opportunity when you're looking to see how you can volunteer to discover other things that may bring you joy and may have a play element to them. If you can kill two birds with one stone and they completely align, great. But it's getting you out of whatever your day-to-day job is or just your day-to-day life and allowing you to see what else might be out there. So again, I see those as being somewhat complementary potentially as well. Very true. I mean, you know, as I talked about, my my play as a child was in the woods. My my go-to play when I didn't feel good was with a friend, you know, traipsing around in the woods. And what am I coming back to here to serve others? The Master Naturalist Program. Once again, you know, it's nature for me that that restores me. So if you can find your thing and it's also uh, aligned with, you know, these other aspects of play and serving, then you'll probably feel really good about it. Actually, a quick story for myself. Uh, unfortunately, with kids, I've not had as much time as I used to. But when I was volunteering at the Children's Hospital, I was, there were not that many men that would go and volunteer. And so for the young boys that were into video games, which I've been into video games ever since I can remember, that was what I did to uh, play with them during my volunteering time was I was the electronics video game guy and have them all line up and do that. So there is the ability to to bring uh, these elements together. So the next step is shed. Walk us through that step. Well, hopefully what has happened now is if you've went through all of these others and you've paid attention to them, you know, you're, you're being conscious and mindful about getting enough sleep, incorporating play, understanding yourself, your natural way of being and what you want to do, being intentional about spending money and time, serving others, volunteering, that will hopefully put you in a place where you can kind of shed some of the negativity or self-judgment that's 
you know, maybe holding you back from some bigger things. You know, when we were born as babies, we were judgment free, right? Babies, babies have no judgment. They're innocent. That's probably why we love them so much. They're just adorable and cute and innocent. And, um, but that self judgment somehow, some way is learned over time. And, um, you know, as adults, it can, it can really be having an impact on us. But it turns out that people really pay about half as much attention to us as we think they do. And this was something I'm not quite sure why. I'm not quite sure I learned um, the negative kind of self-judgment that I did. But, but shedding that, it kind of, once you can kind of let go of that, it's very freeing. And you'll, you'll be more willing to put yourself out there, right? So to do the podcast or to um, write the book or to do the volunteering, you know, whatever it might be. And does that get us right into the natural progression of the next step of stretch or stretching yourself? It does. So now you've, you've, you've done all these things mindfully. You've, you've, you've shed this negativity. Now you can stretch yourself right now for me and for many people, when you face adversity, that adversity makes us stretch, Right. It, it's, it's just, we have to, we don't have any choice. I mean, I wasn't going to curl up and die because I was going undergoing chemo treatment for the cancer. So, you know, I had to find ways to create the normalcy I craved, um, continue professionally working. I had a team that was responsible to me. I had to stretch. I had no choice, but we can also stretch ourselves um, purposefully. So, you know, coming back to me stretching, I, it, Never in my life did I think I had a book in me, you know, but here it is. I did the stretch. I went through all the process. It was step by step. I didn't know what I was doing. So I stretched myself because I had done these other things to make space, to make time, to be able to, to do this. Again, it just puts you in a really good place. It feels good. So I don't know, maybe for you doing the podcast was stretching at one point. Probably now it's old hat, but yeah, I, I guess you've, you've been there yourself. Uh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, actually, as a matter of fact, I just finished a uh, guest spot of my own and I was talking about one tip for podcasting is own your voice. Uh, I, out of the gate, was very hesitant to use my full name because I didn't necessarily commit to uh, owning the, the product and so on. And once I figured out that that's part of the process, it made things a whole heck of a lot easier. And again, what I'm getting here is sort of the natural flow from step to step, because I imagine this is the essence of the next step of inhabit. Indeed, it is. So, okay, so now we did all of that to really lay the foundation so that we can start making these small changes. But but you, you might need some help. And so I've got four ways that you can, right now, you can start today creating sustainable habits more easily. The first one, there's make it easier. Second one, make it cheaper. Third one is ask five whys. And the fourth one is bundle it. So make it easier. If it's easier, then it's kind of a no brainer. You're just going to do it. For me, it's, it's, I discovered this dental lace. It's, it's a replacement for um, floss. And I love this stuff. And it turns out it's compostable. It comes in all recyclable packaging. I can get it on a subscription. So it just comes to my house. And so it's like so much easier and so much better. There's no chemicals. There's no waste. There's no little plastic containers. 
I love this stuff. Dentalice.com. I don't make any money off of it, but I think it's the best thing since sliced bread. Another, another way to do it is to make it cheaper, right? Okay. So if it's cheaper, then you have incentive to go ahead and, and do that sustainable thing. So eating at home is a great example of this. It's typically cheaper. Now, the way my husband cooks, maybe not so much, but for most of us, instead of getting takeout and takeout creates a lot of trash, right? You get all these big styrofoam plastic containers and plastics, you know, cutlery, and it just, it just fills up your trash bin. So figure out a way to make it cheaper and you're more likely to do it. And then another one is if you're really having trouble with something, you're like, man, I want to do this. Why, why can't I make this work? Ask five whys. This is a, this goes back to quality management. I think it was the, the, guy who discovered Toyota came up with it. You, you ask five whys, right? And by the time you get to that fifth why, it might be sooner, but by the time you get to that fifth one, you're probably going to have kind of the root cause of why you're having a problem here. So, you know, it's like ocean plastic, right? There's these huge gyres in the ocean just full of plastic. That's frustrating. That's overwhelming. What can I do about it? Why is it there? Well, it's because it collects in our waterways. Why is it collecting in our waterways? Our storm... Because, because tossed litter flows into the storm drains. Okay, so why is there so much litter? Well, because the litter bins overflow, because items aren't secured in the back of pickup beds, because people are flicking cigarette butts out their car window or maybe fast food stuff. So what can we do differently so that doesn't happen, right? And so maybe we do some education. Maybe we do trash pickups. Maybe we just make sure that our stuff is secured in the back of our pickup bed. And then the final one is bundle it with a reward. Some people might call this a dirt sandwich, right? So you got two slices of bread and in the between is the thing you didn't like very much. Okay, so for me, I can't stand the trash in our neighborhood or along the streets, uh, along the roads. I'm in a rural area. People seem to flip out aluminum cans and water bottles like crazy. But I will take a little walk, like maybe a nature walk, and I will pick up stuff as I go. And then I'll recycle the cans. You know, it just makes me feel good to know that I was able to pick that stuff up, keep it from going in the creek and uh, make sure it's going to get reused again. I know one lady, she in our Facebook group, she said she she takes the money that she gets from recycling the cans and she spends it on pet toys for her companion animals. And she really enjoys that. So it's kind of like whatever works for you. But but figure out a way to reward yourself for doing the right thing. My mind keeps going to health as you're describing the different examples. I'm a runner as my primary way of staying in shape. And I am well aware that many people hate running. (laughs) And so uh, an example is to have a running partner and make it a social event. Or like you've talked about, people, I think, like hiking a little more than running, it seems like by and large. But if you have somebody to do it with that has that same concept, that it becomes more of a social event. So you're getting that healthy activity in, but you're not dreading it every single time because you're looking forward to the social interaction, for example. Yeah, I think that's a great example. So getting close to the end of our steps, uh, make space is next on the list. 
hopefully if you've done all this stuff and you, you start, you start seeing like, okay, this isn't as hard as I thought I can do this. I can make these small changes. They might not be any of the ones that you and I just discussed, but they might be something that works for you and your family. And, you know, you just do a bit by bit and it becomes easier and you go, okay, I got this. I can make these changes. And then maybe in time it starts getting you thinking, maybe you start doing some big things, right? Maybe you start getting a little bit more like, you know, you become an activist, you know, maybe you're the one who organizes the beach cleanup. Maybe um, you're building some technology that, you know, you can some equipment you can put on the end of that storm drain to keep the trash from going in there. So and, and if you do this in the kind of the way that aligns with your natural way of being, you're going to you're going to be really enjoying it. Right. So if you're an implementer, you're going to be you're going to be building something. You're going to be this uh, uh, boy at Slat, the guy from the Netherlands who, who, who is just on a mission to clean up these ocean gyres of plastic. He's an implementer. He's going to build it. He's made space to do this. Or you're going to be like somebody like, uh, you know, this young Greta Thunberg, right? She was, she must be a quick start. I'm guessing she didn't have to study it. She didn't have to, you know, research it. She didn't have to build anything. She didn't have to try to go find anything else. She just decided this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be an activist for this. Likewise, you know, follow through type stuff. I mean, I use the example in the book of the Environmental Protection Agency. Well, that's a whole bunch of people. It's a bureaucracy, really. But if you look at what they've done historically, just from a question of doing research and studying things and then um, figuring out ways to reduce lead from leaded gasoline to get asbestos out of the environment. Uh, all of these different kinds of things they've done over the years that they really kind of don't get appreciated for. They're just right there, silent running, follow through and systems. After you've had these small wins, you can kind of start thinking big because you've got the space to do it now. You kind of got your life aligned with how you like to be. You've got the time, you're volunteering, you're playing, you're sleeping, you're just you're running on all cylinders. That can be very exciting. And that's, that's really what I want for people. But, but it's okay if you just do small things and you stay there, if that's where you're comfortable, right? It, just imagine, take whatever the smallest thing is and take it times however many billions of people there are in the world. Wow, that's huge, right? So that's, that's where we could get to if we all collaborate and do it together. And leading up to all of the steps prior, you're talking about making a foundation and so that when you get to this point, you're in very solid ground so that you're not taking on too much. You don't have a relapse potentially of some of these other issues that may have gone on. So it makes sense to go step by step so that when you get to this point, you are continuing that example on solid ground uh, to make a difference, whatever that means to you and not relapse back uh, to, to somewhere that you were before. And then I imagine the last step share is getting out to the masses, right? That's right. But I would say to your point about relapsing, I would say we all need to give ourselves and one another a break. And um, so, you know, in my world, there is no such thing as a relapse. If if one day you're doing really well and the next day you feel like this just isn't working, it's okay. It's okay. Give yourself a break. You can try again tomorrow. Um, this isn't this. This is a path that will go up and down, up and down, up and down. And as long as you're overall making forward progress, pat yourself on the back. You deserve it. Um, and then when it comes to sharing, I think what I learned during this process 
is it turns out there is a cost to not sharing. And I had never really thought of it that way before, right? So I go back and I think about Rachel Carson. She wrote the book Silent Spring in the early 1960s. And it turns out the little known part of that story um, of that book that really kind of launched the modern environmental you know, revolution is that she herself had breast cancer and she passed away about 18 months after putting that book out there. And I just can't help but think, what if Rachel Carson hadn't shared? We were having pesticides just being, pesticides have their place. They, they can be a good thing, but they were being used indiscriminately. They were just being dumped from airplanes and poisoning rivers and creeks and songbirds were dying. I think that's what we have to remind ourselves is it's not just about us, you know, that like what you're doing here, you're, you're sharing every time you do a podcast, you're sharing with people, you're putting yourself out there. That's just a, a benefit that we can't really put a price on. It's kind of like getting over yourself, right? Cause I, I think everybody has that voice that says you're not good enough. The thing that you want to share isn't worth sharing, et cetera, et cetera. I, I use the, phrase imposter syndrome, because it seems like a very popular phrase lately, it, it creeps into people's minds. So it is worth uh, saying out loud, <laughs> even that that the thing that you have to offer does have value. And you shouldn't just squash it before giving yourself a chance. Yes, uh, well said. Well, that gets us to the end of the steps. Obviously, there's a lot more detail in the book. So, Joyce, before I let you go, can you go ahead and give folks your contact info if anybody has questions for you, where they maybe can find you on social media, obviously where they can pick up a copy of the book, and then maybe any events or promotions you'd let folks know about? The easiest way to find the book is go to my website. Uh, it's the last straw book. Com. You can also find my email address there. You can um, find some other things on there, some products that I've used that I like that I think are great. You can get to our Facebook page and group from there. The page is kind of fun because we just have a nature quote come out every day and it's just a, it's just happy. It's just joyful. And then the group is nice because it's a set of like-minded people. And I'll tell you what we do mostly is we post pictures of cool things we find in our backyard from butterflies, to praying mantises to dragonflies. And at the same time, we'll throw in some things like, Hey, I'm really struggling with composting or, Hey, I discovered this bees wrap stuff that you can use instead of plastic wrap. And so it's kind of a combination of, uh, to me, it's kind of like if you will kind of get in touch with nature, if you'll see nature, you know, right in your backyard is just fine. You're going to you're going to grow to love it. And if you love it, you're going to want to protect it. And if you want to protect it, then you're going to be willing to take these small actions to to incorporate new habits. Um, so then it's something you just do as opposed to an inconvenience. But for sure, if anybody, um, you know, to the first two people that email me, I've got a, I've got a hard copy of the book I can send to them, but otherwise they can find the ebook. I prefer people get the ebook, right? Cause it's environmental, but I understand a lot of people need that paperback in their hands. Um, the ebook is very reasonably priced on Amazon. Very cool. And of course I will put all of your contact info and a link directly to Amazon so folks can easily get to the book. And in my opinion, this is very important stuff. I really appreciate how you've laid out these steps. And again, there is definitely a connection between 
uh, people being able to self-actualize uh, their talents in their life, which I think is a lot of what we're talking about, uh, as well as, again, what they can be doing for the environment and all the tips that you mentioned is part of uh, your social groups. So again, Joyce, I appreciate you being on the show and we'll be in touch. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get podcasts. If you'd like to be notified of future weekly episodes, please hit the subscribe button. If you'd like to help us even further, visit suburbanfolk.com and you'll find a donate button where all the money goes back into the show for you. Thanks for listening. Suburban Folk is part of the Pod All the Time podcasting network with 12 other great podcasts. Head over to suburbanfolk.com for links to their shows. We're also part of the Ring Media Network. Go to ringmedia.com to learn more. That's R-R-I-N-G media.com.